Hello and welcome to SpexCast, a podcast about the science and technology of space exploration. My name is Phil, and I'll be your host today alongside TJ. Hello. And Augie. Hey, everybody. On April 9th, Elon Musk shared a photo of a large mandrel to be used in the manufacture of the Big Effing Spaceship, or BFS. This unveil comes alongside the confirmation that the port of LA will be the location of the BFR factory. While BFR is still years away, Elon is te- Elon also teased second stage recovery again, hinting at inflatable balloons as the key to safely returning the second stage to Earth. This week on Specscast, we dive into this we dive into these developments and give the inside scoop on SpaceX's recovery efforts. SpexCast is brought to you by RIT Space Exploration, also known as SPEX, a student-faculty research group at the Rochester Institute of Technology. On this podcast, we delve into the technologies that make space exploration possible. You can learn more about SPEX and SpexCast at our website, specs.rit.edu. Please let us know what topics you would like us to discuss in the future by sending us a tweet at RITSpecs or an email to specscast at gmail.com. All right, first thing on the list is BFR's new tooling. So what is a mandrel and what does this picture of a big aluminum cylinder actually mean or big steel cylinder actually mean? So I'm not the most qualified to answer this. Uh, We do have engineering friends who specialize in composites, but basically the mandrel is, if you look at an image, it's a giant metallic cylinder or kind of a mold. Um, And so there's actually a ton of videos online that we shared in the blog post where it acts as a mold where carbon composite gets wrapped and layered onto the mold. And then the carbon composite has a resin built into it. Uh, and so that whole structure is then heated to cure the resin and form the stiff and strong composite structure. And then it is slid off or removed from the mandrel. So uh, this is a relatively common technique and they've been getting larger and larger uh, on our original blog post, we shared uh, the Boeing 787 mandrel that they use for building the fuselage. SpaceX uses similar devices for the fairings. Obviously, that is uh, carbon composite and aluminum honeycomb. Uh, but they're relatively common tools, and they're used to build the final solid pieces of carbon composite structures. Yeah, so this mandrel um, will be used to make the fuel tanks for the BFR interplanetary spaceship. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, from the tw- uh, the Instagram post, uh, it looks to be for the big Falcon spaceship. So the uh, second stage of BFR. And it looks to be roughly the section from uh, before it tapers into the crew section to the back of the engine compartment. So that large section can be made in a single piece. Then they can build the internal shared bulkhead uh, for the two tanks. And then uh, in the design, in one of the tanks, they have a separate set of smaller tanks that would be built separately on a different device. And that's for the cruise stage fuel and the final landing fuel. So it's kind of a double-walled cylinder containment vessel to keep the, the fuels cooled during flight. So this is a large chunk of the final BFS spaceship that can be built all at once. Yeah, and in the Instagram post, there was also a Tesla Model 3 uh, for scale. And uh, some clever people on the internet used known dimensions about the Tesla Model 3, or at least uh, very close estimates, to get the entire scale of this mandrel. Um, And 
we believe it's around nine meters, which is consistent with things Elon has said in the past, which is huge. I still can't get over how how big this spaceship is going to be. But yeah, so you know things are lining up, and we're seeing real hardware coming together to make these prototypes and, and different vehicles, which is cool. Yeah, it was really exciting. Uh, this kind of came out of nowhere, um, and it's a very big. Uh, it's a very positive sign that work is happening on this. Uh, looking back, Elon mentioned at the AMA after the uh, IAC 2017 reveal of BFR that they wanted to be doing test hops of just the BFS within two years. At the Falcon Heavy launch press conference, he reiterated end of 2019. And so to have the tooling to build the structure ready uh, and close to production, that fits in with the timeline of get the structure done, get the Raptor engines done, and then within a year and a half, have something that can be fueled up and begin hover tests or flight tests relatively soon. A year and a half in uh, the space industry is not that long at all. Uh, quick question here. How does this relate to the carbon fiber fuel tank we saw last year um, that was tested up in Washington, right? How how does this tie into that? It's a, they're both carbon fiber, but what else beyond that? Yeah, so uh, the tank that was unveiled in 2016, which was then tested, was originally built by Janiki uh, or Janiki uh, Systems, J N I C K I, uh, and they are an exotic or a high technology composite company based in Washington. And they actually have done lots of uh, R&D composite structures. We'll get into this, but been, they built the uh, inflatable hypersonic uh, decelerator for NASA. So they're kind of on the leading edge of large high performance composite structures. And so they built a tank and that was for, at 12 meters for the ITS, which is a larger rocket. So that was a larger tank, and while that was also for the second stage, that one tank has the entire volume of the two tanks for BF BFS. So they took that, took it out into a barge, they did all their leak tests and their cryogenic fill tests, and then they just cranked it as hard as, as, hard as it could go, blew it up, launched into the air. Um, and so with that tank, they were able to prove the concept of large structural cryogenic composite tanks. So once they knew that, that a larger tank would work and was suitable for the, the task, they looks like they took the technology, scaled it down for what their current application is, which is for BFS. Uh, but we don't know uh, if this was tooling built by Janicki or another company. Uh, we don't know who built it, uh, but it looks like they, they're bringing the tooling in-house because they don't want to build just one BFS. They want to build dozens. And bringing it in-house means bringing it to Los Angeles. Of course, the uh, SpaceX headquarters is in Hawthorne. Um, and some more clever internet detective uh, work has shown that the we believe that this uh, mandrel was located in a tent by the port of L.A. So... Um, I only saw the results here with a it's a it's a Google Images map with a little balloon that says uh SpaceX tent 
and tooling here. Uh, how did how did people figure that out? Yeah, so when the tweet first went out, uh, no one knew where it was, and it's purposely vague. You know, it's a big white tent, uh, and the internet is not content with mysteries like that. Uh, so at the time when we reported on this, we had a blog post on April 9th. Uh, there was two leading candidates. There was a tent in the port of Anacortes in Washington, which kind of made sense because it was close to where the tank, the original carbon fiber tank was made, and that's where we assumed this tooling came from. Uh, and there was also a tent in the port of LA. And we're going to get to uh, port, or birth 240, which is going to be the factory for BFR, but uh, there was no known tent at that site. And so uh, people on NASA Spaceflight Forum and Reddit uh, knew that there was a tent under construction uh, just north of that site in the port of LA. And uh, I saw some images where they took satellite photos of the parking lot where the tent is, looked at the parking lot lines and the orientation there, then looked where the tent was built on top of them, and then in the photo matched the color of the asphalt under the tent with satellite photos of the parking lot and got a supposed confirmation of the tent. Now, a few days later, uh, Tesla Roddy just sent a reporter out with a camera and just took photos of the tent with the tool inside. So we know the tool is there, uh, confirmed. And Tesla Roddy is teslaroddy.com? Yes. Yeah, Tesla Roddy had an article of it and it's pretty definitive. They even have like part of the tent door open and you can see the whole tooling inside. You don't see the Model 3, but you can definitely see the tooling. Yeah, so that's confirmed as the location now. And there's actually, uh, Tesla already reported there's about 40 cars and people working there right now. So that is an active site um, prepping the tool and preparing the site. Uh, obviously, they're going to most likely move that south a bit to the final factory um, now that that lease has been signed and confirmed. The second big piece of news uh, since we last talked about this, is that BFR officially has a home. So uh, at the announcement, uh, the location of the BFR factory wasn't known. We didn't know where it was. There's speculation of it might be built in Florida, close to Pad 39A, which is a potential launch site. It might be built in Texas uh, because uh, Brownsville and Boca Chica is a potential launch site. But California and Southern California specifically ended up becoming the chosen site. And so for just a little background, uh, SpaceX is leasing uh, Berth 240, which is in the port of LA. So uh, this is a major shipping port uh, that takes in a ton of goods uh, from China and around the world and acts as a hub. So it's a very, very large modern port. But there is a berth uh, region of that port that hadn't been used. And for part of that is uh, it's a relatively tiny when it comes to ports sized plot. Uh, it has two dry docks and it used to be used for uh, ship maintenance. So uh, they take ships in there, repair them, and even has history back to World War II. And it's basically been abandoned uh, since the 80s um, when the ship repair company left. And so it's been in a bunch of movies, Hollywood likes to rent it out, uh, but it's basically an abandoned port area. And there's some uh, environmental damage, and due to the size and environmental damage, it's not an attractive place to become a new port uh, facility. 
So it's just been kind of empty. And so SpaceX has uh, leased it out uh, because it has port access and on the site, which means large structures in the official lease request, they say large structures coming, uh, potentially coming from Washington, they could take those in uh, and then final assembly would occur at the site and then the final BFR and BFS would be shipped by barge uh, around through the port uh, or the, through the Panama Canal to launch sites, whether those are in Texas or Florida. And we'll have a link to the Port of LA meeting link and some other resources uh, where we get, we're getting all this information uh, in the blog post for this episode. Yeah, there's, SpaceX actually got a really, really good deal on with this, uh, this port berth. Uh, it's 10 years uh, with the option to extend it up to 30 years, and they're paying $1.3 million per month in rent, which uh, for a waterfront property in LA is a really, really great price. And that's partially because no other company, uh, naval company, really has a use for it. It's not per month. It's per $1.3 million per year that they'll be paying. Is it? Yeah. Oh, even a better deal. So $1.38 million per year. So a very great deal there. And it, while uh, the contract allows the Port of LA to adjust that rent every five years, based on inflation and the value of the land. Uh, they also get $27 million in improvement credits. So if SpaceX take, goes to the site and improves it, so they uh, clean up the environmental damage, they tear down buildings and build new buildings, say a rocket factory, uh, they can take the money they invested in those improvements and use that to offset rent. So up to $27 million of credits for that. And if they also uh, buy more plots within the berth, because they're only uh, leasing half of the space, they can get more credits up to about $44 million. So it's a very great deal for SpaceX for prime property. And one reason this is interesting to me is uh, because, I mean, BFR won't be launching from LA. <laughs> It'll be launching from either Brownsville, Texas in SpaceX's new uh, launch facility or from the Cape, Cape Canaveral, Florida, um, which means if they're building BFR um, in LA, they have to get it to one of those two locations, which means it's probably going to go on a ship, right? And so when I think about that, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about rockets, which made of a lot of metal parts and sensitive electronics and delicate things and then the ocean which is salt water and uh, i mean it's bad enough for spacecraft that do splash down landings if they get a little bit wet there's a lot of corrosion that can happen so uh, it makes it's kind of surprising to me that um, a shipping lane would be a viable option considering falcon 9s are transported by truck because they're small enough to fit in a on a truck bed on the road. But, I mean, there's no other way to get it there. Well, I suspect they could wrap it pretty well. I mean, they've reused Falcon 9s that have landed on drone ships without any coverings whatsoever. And so, you know, there they're handling a bit of saltwater spray, I'm sure. And here I'm, I, I imagine they would wrap it or even have, like, I don't know, a very, very large enclosed ship if they needed to. Yeah, uh, Falcon 9 being... Um 
ship by road is actually an exception rather than the rule. Uh, Saturn V was all, sh the larger components were all shipped by barge um, where they were sent from Michoudan, Louisiana, up the Mississippi River to Stennis for testing and then by barge around Florida to Cape Canaveral. So the Falcon 9 or the Saturn V uh, was shipped by barge with no issue. Uh, rockets like Atlas and Delta are shipped by barge. Uh, even the Soyuz that launches from French Guiana, that gets transported across the Atlantic Ocean from Russia. That's true. So this is not a new problem. And this is kind of, yeah, okay. That makes sense considering it's, I guess, usual for rockets to be transported that way. The effects are known. Yeah. The, ch the reason for road transport for Falcon 9 is that barge transportation is expensive. And so when you're sending that many rockets from testing to launch, uh, you're just adding cost. I mean, it's also slow. I mean, I imagine the bigger factor for SpaceX is not the cost of shipping their sixty-plus million-dollar rocket. It's it's actually getting it there with speed. Because right now they'll ship rockets, Falcon Nines, like from from McGregor back to Hawthorne, back to Kennedy, all the time, and they're able to do that. I mean, essentially overnight. Yeah, and uh, with BFR. Uh, now that it's supposed to be uh, rapidly reusable, a BFR, once it leaves Port of LA, will launch and land from the same space uh, for pretty much its entire life. So uh, with Falcon 9, a lot of the reuse, uh, the early stage refurbishment, they had to go back to Hawthorne for repairs. Right. With BFR, they can build the facilities at the launch site and they do that shipping once, and then it f it'll fly back to launch site, and it doesn't have to be transported again. Now, back when we were talking about BFR a couple months ago, uh, I suggested the Port of LA as a potential site, mainly for this kind of historical reason. Uh, first of all, Southern California is a huge aerospace center. Uh, SpaceX, Boeing, Lockheed all have a lot of their space development there. The space shuttles were built uh, within the LA, Southern California region. Uh, but going back even further, uh, Howard Hughes and the factory that built the Spruce Goose were located in LA. Spruce Goose was, the at the time, the world's largest airplane and it was designed to be launched from water. So they built a giant factory right on the harbor where they could roll it out when it was done into the water and then use the water to take off. And so I think it's kind of interesting and I just can't find the right word for it. I just think it's kind of cool that what used uh, at the time was the most daring and ambitious aerospace project was built and attempted to be launched from Port of LA. And decades later, we're, well, 80 years later, now the world's most ambitious aerospace project is being built only a few miles away. Uh, you can actually see the Spruce Goose uh, in the Port of LA uh, over by the Queen Mary. So there's just a ton of heritage and history there. And I think it's kind of cool that that one region is going to be host of these two incredible projects. It's the same warm fuzzies that we got when watching Falcon Heavy take off from 39A. That sort of history, yeah. everything coming around. Yeah, good times. So in continuing the discussion about SpaceX's next rocket, the BFR, there was a video shown at uh, Gwen Shotwell, the president and COO of SpaceX's talk, 
at TED. So about a week or two ago, she did a talk, and um, and and basically some people on the internet noticed that the Big Falcon rocket looked like it had been extended, and Elon actually confirmed that this is is true. I mean, basically confirmed on Twitter. Someone asked Eric Clevin asked, "Has the BFR BFS been stretched in height?" And Elon said, "Maybe a little," with a winky face. So that's certainly interesting. They're they're obviously constantly developing and improving on the rocket. Um, in, in the in the video itself, though, they show the uh, the Big Falcon spaceship with only two sea level Raptor engines, which is um, you know originally what they had in the initial Big Falcon spaceship uh, presentation at IAC. But Elon, since on on Reddit and on Ask Me Anything, said that they were going to add add three, so that they'd have a little bit more redundancy and a little bit more control. So you know, there, there's there's some changes they've said they've made, and others that. So it's kind of all up in the air now. I don't know if you want to talk about this one any any more, TJ. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, we're recording this on Sunday, and the rumor is that video will be publicly available on Monday. So people instead of April twenty third. Yeah. So instead of very low res like phone shots of a screen from the conference. We should be able to get high quality stuff. But again, that render had uh, what looked to be a longer, larger rocket. Elon confirmed that. It also has uh, more changes to design, minor changes. Uh, so now BFS has uh, kind of humps where the landing legs uh, are stored. And that was something that from the original render in 2017, uh, you had basically a tank with wings and then when it landed on the moon and then Mars, the landing legs kind of came out of nowhere. So uh, it does look like they're updating the CAD model for that, uh, which is always good to see that kind of evolution and the fact that we're going from an ITS design to BFR and now it's BFR with an extra little bit here and there uh, lends credence to the fact that the design is slowly coming together and it could hit that timeline in 2019. Yeah, and seeing changes uh, as these talks progress and we get renders that are different and evolving, it does also lend credence to the fact that they're using uh, real, current, up-to-date models and stuff. Um, I, I guess I always have this uh, thought in my head that when I see a render or a concept art or something like that, what things will be, it's something that an artist talked with the engineering team and they came together and made a picture and then that picture would be reused. So it's really cool to see that the, the renderings are being updated along with the designs. Um, and to comment on the changing designs, um, for anyone listening who may be surprised that it's seeing so many updates, now, I, I think they're just, you know, this is a natural part of the engineering process. Maybe they're getting better test data from Raptor developments and, you know, or maybe, um, you know, the teams come together and say, where are the legs going to go? And then they figure that out. So um, do you think we could speculate a little bit on uh, the reasoning for the length extension and why uh, BFR might be a little bit taller and why BFS might have fewer engines? Yeah. Uh, I think the first, uh, I think a the least ambitious guess is that Raptor development is going better than expected. So for ITS, uh, the Raptor, the for ITS, the Raptor specifications that we were given uh, were very ambitious. And from the transition from ITS to BFR, the Raptor got scaled down. Uh, obviously, we saw a subscale or half-scale Raptor test in 2016. And it looks like they said, 
okay, we have this functioning at this scale, we can do, do a design with this kind of engine. Uh, and that's what we saw in the 2017 BFR. But during that program development, they're trying out tons of different mixture ratios, new injector designs, new uh, combustion chamber designs, new nozzles. And so performance can change uh, wildly during development. So if they can get 10, 15% more thrust or higher chamber pressure, more efficiency, that would mean that uh, the engines on the first stage could lift a larger rocket. So you can extend the length. Uh, changing diameter now, especially that they have tooling ordered and built, uh, becomes more expensive. So that's kind of the simplest thing. Otherwise, uh, it's trying to increase payload. Maybe um, the second stage, uh, there's more dr dry mass they didn't account for with life support or living quarters or radiation shielding. So they need a bigger first and second stage to uh, keep the same performance. So, You know, it could have come down to the tooling as well. When I look at some of the the parts and stuff that people are talking about online, it could just be the case that it, it works out much better with the tooling if they shoot for the taller rocket and they're able to configure the Raptor, which is still in development, to handle that anyway. Um, or it could be, you know, just a difference in thrust. They did that with the Falcon 9. The original Falcon 9 version 1 was, was much shorter than the one that we have today. So they ended up extending it well after it flew for the first time. Yeah, another thing to consider is that at... IAC 2017, Elon Musk talked about how uh, they were choosing 9 meters instead of 12 meters because it could fit inside their existing factory in Hawthorne and their existing buildings in Hawthorne. Now that they're building or they're doing final production in a new building in Port of LA, that's no longer a hard limit. Um, so there's been some rumors and confusion based on the Port of LA committee talk uh, where the head of uh, land acquisition for SpaceX mentioned the diameter is 10.6 meters, um, which is not the nine meters that the tooling looks to be and that was announced. So the diameter might change, the length might change. Having a custom built uh, and built to fit BFR factory means that maybe they can make the whole rocket longer. Maybe there was a constraint in the existing factory where we can only fit a rocket of this length in our existing building and they don't have that restriction. So a lot of things could have changed. Yeah, it's interesting. We haven't seen anything about the Raptor and, and changes that have been made to that. I wonder if it's because there there could be considered to be in competition directly with Jeff Bezos's Blue Origins and they're obviously building the BE-4, which is a liquid methane uh, oxygen rocket or rocket engine. So Maybe that's one of the reasons why the Raptor has been more tightly kept under wraps and any change to that haven't really been hinted. Yeah, and uh, Blue Origin's been pretty vocal in sharing uh, more details about BE4 um, tied in with you know Vulcan's selection process. And we talked about that at length, but uh, that may also, I agree with you, I think that might be a reason why SpaceX is keeping their cards close to their chest. That said, I want to know more about Raptor. <laughs> like Me BFR too. is cool, but it's, literally powered by these engines and we've known that they exist for years um and it's yeah i'm really excited for that type of news to come out i mean what's super inspiring about this rocket is it'll be the first rocket we've ever built with more power and capability than the saturn V. yeah it'll be the most powerful rocket of all time yeah and people um when you when you look at news articles and and things that impress people it's the picture of 
the rockets lined up next to each other and which one is taller you know right, uh, because right, i right. mean taller bigger uh, more powerful whatever but if it has a more powerful engine you know it doesn't have to be taller <laughs> yeah one uh speculated reason for the bfr length extension is that the original unveiling in 2017 was just a little bit shorter than a saturn V. And oh, SLS, I don't buy that. SLS buy Block that 2 is exactly 25 centimeters taller than the Saturn V. And so I could see an extra couple meters being added here and there so no, that it is not only the largest. With vehicles this big, 25 centimeters is like tolerance stack up. Yes, but NASA is very particular that it's 25 centimeters taller than Saturn V. So I could see uh, Elon, you know, let's just stretch this out a couple more meters so that it's say a couple meters is a lot though i don't i don't buy that part of the argument at but all. it's elon so yeah because yeah. again what happens in the media is that yes the bf the, the bfr is the most powerful rocket since the saturn 5 but in those lineup charts it's not the tallest rocket since the saturn 5 so uh we'll see what happens we know elon musk is you know knows the power of that media reach um, I mean, look at Falcon Heavy and Starman. So, you know, it could be a directive that's way far down the road in speculation. Uh, we don't have any way to confirm that at all. Uh, but, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm a betting man. I'll put $5 that uh, this year we find out BFR is taller than Saturn V. Okay, I'll put five bucks in. <laughs> All right, so... I, I bet it will be, but I just don't think it will be because of that reason. So another another thing that everyone thought was crazy and Elon was joking on Twitter was second stage reuse. So uh, the second stage of Falcon 9 is the only part that is not reusable. Well, they haven't reused the fairings yet either. Although they have landed, I think, three times already. They've landed the fairings in the ocean and then pulled them out. They just haven't landed them on the the catcher's boat, Mr. Steven, yet. So once they do that, then I imagine they'll, they'll get to reuse the fairings. Yeah, but they got yeah, I agree. Both. The second stage is the the last big component to have a much more reuse. Basically, you could say the rocket is fully reusable when you get to that point. Yeah, and the reason to reuse the second stage is, is that it is also a big investment for the company. Oh, it's huge. It's got to be tens of millions of dollars just to produce. The fairings are spending tons of effort to rescue, and that's, what, a million dollars for the for the fairings? Six million each. Six million each? Okay. Expensive. But second stage will be more than that. Yep. So on April 15th, Elon Musk went to Twitter and uh, sent out a very cryptic tweet. Uh, this is going to sound crazy, but dot, dot, dot. And a few minutes later, uh, announced that SpaceX will try to bring rocket upper stage back from orbital velocity using a giant party balloon. Uh, following that up with, and then land on a bouncy house. So uh, this kind of took the internet by storm because at first glance, it seems very ridiculous and very crazy. Yeah, so what are the real, what are the real cases of using a quote-unquote party balloon? What does he mean by that? Yeah, so uh, to kind of decrypt the, the fun language, uh, basically this means uh, taking an inflatable uh, balut, which is a part parachute, part balloon, uh, inflating that with helium and the goal is not to uh, land not necessarily land a fairing like land the second stage like a fairing uh, where you might land on uh, the the boat uh, but the primary reason is to slow down the second stage when it re-enters the atmosphere so when the second stage is launched it's going much much faster than the first stage 
The first stage usually is going about a thousand meters per second, give or take. The second stage, once it puts a payload into orbit, is going at least 17,000 meters per second. And for a GTO mission, it might have a very high uh, elliptical orbit, so even more energy. Yeah, and so and for reference, the speed of sound is is only like 343 meters per second. So it's going many Mach multiples at that point. <laughs> yeah, so there's a ton of energy that the stage expends to put itself into orbit. And the fuel required to slow down the second stage uh, to basically stop and land on the uh, on the ground again is completely infeasible. With the exponential increase in fuel required, uh, recovering the second stage only propulsively would be impractical. Well, it's also a vacuum engine, mm -hmm. Merlin. It's not even optimized for sea level either. Yeah. And so if you go into uh, what Dragon does to re-enter is it uses a heat shield. So it has a heat-resistant uh, face that can take up to extremely high heat and uses the atmosphere to decelerate. And that might work for a second stage, but you need to be able to uh, have that heavy heat shield, keep it pointed in the right direction, and you're still going to have very high accelerations and very high temperatures. I've never heard of a balut. I know, I know it's a thing, but it's a portmanteau of balloon and parachute. I just never heard of this word before we started using it. Yeah, me either. I, I looked it up, um, and uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. I hope we're saying it right. But this is apparently not new technology and has been used since, like, uh, it, it was invented by Goodyear in 1958, and there's a lot of mm -hmm. um, examples of it being used in uh, aeronautics and in the military uses, like bombs and stuff like that, so... There, we'll get into the reasons why it's useful in just a second. Yeah. So someone on Twitter, uh, kind of diving into the party, whole party balloon motif, said, I'm not sure using helium will help it stay up in space, though. Hashtag science. Uh, Elon responded, yeah, but great for creating a giant object that retains its shape across all mock regimes and drops ballistic coefficient by two orders of magnitude. Would they really fill it with helium, though? Uh, you know, that's a lot of extra volume that it would have to take up. So one of the common use cases for balloons is to have them be self-filling. So you have a balloon sh parachute shape and you have vents that can suck in incoming air, expand the volume, and then you can decelerate with that. However, the use case for that, this is impractical because the idea is to expand the volume and the cross-sectional area of the object high in the atmosphere. And so using pressurized helium isn't that inefficient. Uh, they have the COPVs, which allows you to take a ton of helium and compress it into a very small space and then expand this balloon out. And it needs to be really big at low densities and high speeds. So you don't need a ton of volume of gas inside the, or a ton of mass of gas inside the balloon at the early phase. And what this does is that the heat from the entry increases exponentially uh, with the speed and cross-sectional area of the object. And so if you increase the cross-sectional area, you can dramatically drop the heat all the parts experience. And so at the second stage, it has a diameter of roughly three meters across. That's gonna be a ton of heat on a small area and a very high acceleration. If you can dramatic, have a very, very large balloon behind or in front of the stage, you dramatically increase the area. That means the heat per unit area drops and 
uh, two orders of magnitude. So you don't need a heavy heat shield to block the heat and you can still get hot, but as we've seen with Falcon 9 first stage, that doesn't have a uh, very strong heat shield like Dragon does and it can survive with just a little bit of heat protection and a blade of paint on the stage. Yeah, so it's another uh, one of those designs that's uh, so it's simple um, in, in doing it and coming up with a more complex uh, mechanism or complex design just adds cost, it adds mass, and it adds points of failure. So something simple like a balute, which has already been demonstrated, much like grid fins on the first stage. Grid fins were technology that are also developed um, for high Mach number uh, control, like bombs and missiles and stuff. Um, so, uh, you know, it's drawing from that same reservoir of knowledge and applying it here. Yeah. And this is actually not a completely unknown use of this kind of technology. So NASA has a project called HIAD, which is the hypersonic inflatable aerodynamic decelerator, uh, which we mentioned in that Janaki, Janaki, Janjinja, Janaki, 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 okay, Janaki, 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 one of those, <laughs> one of those works. Uh, Janiki, uh, the same company that built the composite tank for uh, BFR, uh, helped build. And NASA's launched several of these uh, on sounding rockets to get them to very, very high speeds. And they're evaluating them for hypersonic reentry to Mars, where if you can have something that is very light that can inflate to cover a large spacecraft, you can decelerate very quickly. Uh, and then use propulsive landing on Mars. Here's a crazy idea. Could they, could they, if they kept, if they launched a Falcon Heavy and kept the Dragon on it, could they use a balute that they already would build for the second stage for bringing it back through Earth? Could they use a balute to then try and land on Mars? I guess they wouldn't have the propulsive landing for the Dragon, though. That'd be kind of the problem that would stop them from doing that. Probably. Because they wouldn't be able to actually land the... Well, they could land the dragon with a parachute, though, if they could slow it down. The parach I think the parachutes wouldn't work with dragon because it's too heavy. Because parachutes, uh, like, stuff the size of... Yeah, they'd need propulsive, probably. And yeah. they can the propulsive, so they're probably... They're just, I'm sure they're just waiting for the BFS to be finished. Yeah. Okay. Now, I think what's really interesting is that uh, if this balut approach works with the second stage and... Uh, there's been no mention of reusing the second stage. This is all for testing re-entry. And Elon mentioned years ago that they wanted to try to bring back the second stage uh, eventually. Uh, well, he even mentioned it for the Falcon Heavy mm -hmm. maiden launch. He wanted to try and do it, and they, they didn't end up... I'm sure they had a lot going on with the Roadster and the three different booster landings they were trying to do. Yeah. So I'm wondering that uh, if we see maybe on a uh, Falcon Heavy launch this year or a Falcon 9 launch this year... Uh, if we see these tests, and over the next couple of years, these tests prove promising, if balute technology gets incorporated into BFR, because BFR uses a lifting body and then the retropropulsion approach that the Falcon 9 first stage uses. But if it is really a system that's relatively simple, relatively reliable, and low mass, maybe we could see that. Well, why weren't they? Wasn't that the whole point of? Doing propulsive and doing uh, having the delta wing so they could glide in and just use the mm -hmm. heat shield. I, I'm skeptical that they yeah. would use that for the the spaceship. I'm convinced this is almost this is almost a hundred percent like 
Falcon 9 reuse. And yeah. But then again, you we yeah. found out Falcon 9 was pencils down. We found out Falcon 9 Block 5 was done. Does that mean they're version still seven, iterating? Phil? It's version 7. You'd be Version correct. 7 block 5B 1.1A full thrust. <laughs> well, I think the booster the booster may be getting pretty locked down, but they're probably still working on yeah. the second stage. I think the primary argument that a balut would not be used for BFR and BFS is that it's not easily reusable and rapidly reusable. When you're trying to use BFS to send people point to point on Earth, and you're trying to use BFS to, within 30 days, uh, return from Mars... Uh, so it gets back in the same launch window. Uh, having a balut that I don't know how easy that would be to deflate and then repack and be ready to reuse again. So uh, I st- while I brought it up, I still think that the lifting body and retropropulsion approach is what they're going to stick with. I agree. I do think it could be huge for the Falcon 9, though, because there's going to be customers launching on the Falcon 9 for many, many years to come. And if they can figure out second stage reuse, even if it would just be flown twice... That's a huge amount of cost savings for them, and investing a few million dollars, maybe even tens of millions of dollars up front to try and do that is going to pay off huge dividends for them if they succeed. The second stage development, though, like doesn't that fly in the face of having a finished rocket and having a finished design for Falcon 9? It does a bit, but I feel like Elon can't help himself, and it's the last piece of reuse for the Falcon 9. I mean, that would be so much more margin for them and and profit if they're able to reuse literally all the components. Yeah. Also, the value of recovering the second stage is about to increase exponentially. So with Block 5, if it can do 10 rapid reuses and then up to 100 reuses with maintenance, then the proportion of value lost on every flight that is the second stage dramatically increases. Exactly. It's, it's all in the second stage. I mean, that's the bulk of the cost. Right, because right now it's about 15 to 20% of a launch cost with a brand new booster, new second stage, new fairings. They're going to start reusing boosters, and that could get close to the cost of fuel plus maintenance. They're trying to reland fairings that they can land them on Mr. Steven. They don't get wet, and they could be quickly reused. Those become very, very cheap. Suddenly, the 15 to $20 million that's a brand new second stage is this huge cost. And if they can recover it and even reuse just part of the engine or part of the avionics and say... It would basically be a whole another order of magnitude decrease in the cost of launching on top of where they already are. That's what gets you sub $10 million launches with Falcon 9. And that would before BFR even flies, dramatically make the feasibility of Starlink go way, way up, make all sorts of payloads to low Earth orbit and to GTO go way, way up, and would be this huge thing, even though reuse and streamlining manufacturing has brought dramatic changes already. If they could reuse at least parts of everything is just huge potential. And there are two more things about second stage reuse that we haven't gotten into yet. One is probably, it might be pretty quick. Uh, What do you think Elon meant when he said land on a bouncy house? Is that just another Mr. Steven? I think that was the original plan for fairing reuse was to land it on a a bouncy house in the ocean. So, you know. Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking back to. So if Elon said bouncy house for fairing reuse and that evolved into Mr. Steven, do you think this is the same thing here? Yeah, well, he even said another follow-up tweet to that and said, we already do targeted retro burn to a specific point in the Pacific with no islands or ships. 
so upper stage will not become a dead satellite. We need to retarget closer to shore and position catcher ship like Mr. Steven. Okay, that, that hits uh, my other question, which was, how would you pick where it lands? Yeah, I assume they don't want to land it way out in the middle of the ocean because that's going to be super hard to recover and it's going to be super expensive to send Mr. Steven all the way out that way and all the way back. It'll take forever. So I imagine they're just going to try and coast it a bit closer to Florida and have the ship out there just ready to go. Yeah, and even, you know, they could try to do it on the West Coast. Dragon, when it re-enters, they get a very, very precise location that's only a few hundred miles off the coast of California. And they can, uh, the technology and the guidance uh, has improved greatly that they can hit a relatively small area of the ocean with the uh, inertial guidance that's in Dragon. So if you have a balut or steerable parachutes or something, you can also get that level of accuracy. Uh, once again, we'll have links to all these tweets we referenced and um, some additional reading material on you know balutes and the history of them, ballistic coefficient and what that is, and also um, NASA's HIAD project. Great talk. One piece of specs news, RIT Space Exploration has started a crowdfunding campaign. If you uh, would like to donate to RIT Space Exploration and fund uh, tons of student-led, student-conducted projects like um, participation in the intercollegiate rocket engineering competition, designing our own rocket nozzles and analyzing how they work, and uh, high-altitude balloon launches, which we featured a few episodes ago, If you would like to donate to RIT Space Exploration, you can visit the blog post for this episode at blog.specscast.com or check out RIT Space Exploration on any of our social media channels or facebook.com slash rtspecs or twitter at ritspecs. Thank you for your support. If you like this episode, subscribe to future episodes and tell your friends about the show. You can check out our past episodes and blog posts We post new blogs Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and new episodes every Friday. Also, let us know what you think of the show. Leave a review on iTunes or your podcast service of choice, or reach out to us via Twitter at RITSpecs. We'll see you next week for another discussion on space exploration, science, and technology.